There is no growth in comfort and no comfort in growth. Business today typically values and promotes leaders for their subject expertise. Leaders who have command of the details and execute based on knowledge and experience are highly respected. However, to grow as a leader, you have to get out of your comfort zone. That means learning to lead without just being the expert. Learn to gain the trust and respect of a team that might know more than you do. Get comfortable with ambiguity and with not having all the information. Develop the skills and confidence to lead in a different way. Welcome to Out of the Comfort Zone. I'm Wanda Wallace. Today our show is going to focus on brands. We're going to start first talking about the typical corporate product and service brands, and then I want to shift and focus on personal brands. Let me explain what I mean. Brands, brand marketing, this has been around for centuries, but I want to ask what makes a great brand, and how do you evolve a brand, and if you need to repair a brand or update a brand, how do you go about doing that, and what is it we now understand about this process of creating phenomenal brands? So we're going to do this first, talking about products and services in both large and small companies. Then in the second half of the show, I want to take that expertise around traditional brands and apply it to us as individuals on personal brands. And so you're going to see we're going to take the concepts from brand marketing, traditional brands, and apply it to the personal side. So with me today is Rebecca Freddy. And Rebecca is indeed a brand expert. She spent the last 25 years helping Fortune 50 companies, as well as a few tech startups, build and revitalize their brand stories for the purposes of driving organic growth. Now, she's done this in a number of different companies, and she has a very straightforward model that any organization, large, small, profit, nonprofit, can use to put their brand story down in words so that the whole organization rallies around behind it. So Rebecca believes, and has growth numbers to prove, that when there's universal clarity around your brand story, then everyone who's working on building the business is able to unleash exponential growth. Now, so we're gonna, again, we're going to look at that from the point of view of traditional brands, and then we're going to take it into the personal side. Rebecca is now um, running a consulting company that is about helping companies build their brand. It's called Pink Imperfection, and it's about how do you build the brand story or amplify the brand story and connect with consumers in unique ways that helps you create a growth culture. So, Rebecca, welcome to the show. Thanks, Wanda. This is a lot of fun. I my am favorite so topics, if not the favorite topic. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and in some ways, the most important topic. All right, here we go. Start, start us at the very top. In the corporate world, what makes for a great brand? So what I really love about branding is that it's what um, decommoditizes us from the basics. So great brands are products or services that not only have a very credible and critical function or service that they're um, delivering to their community. You know, they're, they're solving a need, they're, solving a pa- they're serving a passion, but they also take it one step further to level, level it up to an emotional relationship with the consumer or the community that they're serving. So that, you know, one of, one of the most, I think, famous ones out there right now is the, the Dove brand, and when I was at Unilever, it was always an honor when I had um, time to work on it, was that what started out as a moisturizing bar of soap really stands for real beauty. 
and for a connection with people that want to connect with their inner self to reveal that to the outer world. And so, therefore, you know, every day you take a shower and you kind of refresh who that real person is. That's a pretty astounding statement or promise, and I think that's what brands really are now is it's a promise, it's a connection and a relationship with somebody that I promise that I'm going to commit to delivering or supporting you on this avenue. Okay. All right. So I want to just repeat because I thought those are very clever words. It decommoditizes a product or a service so that we see it as something above and beyond just the generic average that we could buy. And you said that it serves a credible function or service, as well as an emotional relationship um, or promise. Now, Rebecca, for the jaded members of us in the world, Mm -hmm. this notion of a promise, like it stands for beauty and my inner self revealed to the outer world, that sounds lovely. It also sounds quite manipulative. What's your view? (laughs) I guess it, it, it... Yes, you could always say the evil marketers, and I think when you because we see so much bad marketing that is just trying to manipulate, it, we do get pretty cynical. But what makes a, a a brand or marketing really great is when it actually connects, and you really honestly feel that versus feeling like somebody's forcing that on you. And I think that's also the evolution of marketing today. That marketing, you know, madman and bad marketing was we just told people what they were supposed to think and feel. Use this soap, moisturize your face, you need moisture. Versus, wait, why are you moisturizing your face? Why do you care? Oh, wow, you care because you actually feel good about yourself. You feel more beautiful, which makes you then want to go do things, positive, positive impact. Okay, well, then let us connect to that and let us then really support that part of you. So then there's this authenticity between the brand and the consumer, and now it's a relationship. It's not me barking at you and then you jumping and going, okay, I'll do it. It's now there's a two-way relationship, and the consumer feeds the brand and tells them what to do next because that's what they need to continue a relationship. And so truth in marketing is when it's about a relationship on a, a higher order level than just, keep me fed, um, but if it's just a one and done, just, you know, buy me and I don't care what happens to you after that, you're right, that's bad marketing and that is manipulative and that does not make a good brand. Okay, so I get now your sense of what you mean by relationship because those words are easy to say and not necessarily easy to deliver on, Correct. but if you are at the point of trying to understand why does the consumer care about your product or service, what does that product or service do for them above and beyond provide a function, and I tune into that and I amplify that in a really credible way that can, I can imagine, build a relationship that has some degree of authenticity to it. Correct. Okay. All right. So we have a brand, both delivers a function and creates an emotional relationship. Lovely. How do you go about making these kind of emotional connections? Is there a process for this? Yes. Um, There are plenty of different ways to do this. And through the years, I've, I've been run through many gauntlets. But what I have um, found is that there's also some four basic um, sections to the brand story or the brand promise that I found the most useful and the most actionable. I think what what is really important 
for all of us now is to, you know, time is such a precious commodity. Let's make sure that what we're doing is actually actionable versus just a pretty piece of paper to stick in our office and never really do anything with it. So for me, the four segments um, to, to the brand story are, first and foremost, what is the functional deliverable? What are you doing? And this is your brag board. This is your moment to sit and brag and think through every single you know, piece of your service or your uh, customer service or your product ingredients, all the different things that you've spent time and money putting into this, and then taking that apart and saying, okay, what are the most valuable things in there that I have to offer? The second section of that is in, in what tone matter, what's the personality that I want to deliver that? Am I, am I delivering that? And when we launched Mintident Toothpaste, we wanted to have real credibility, and so we presented that through the eyes of dentists' family members, that it, it, was, it was a toothpaste that was so credible that you know, we really wanted to have the credibility of medicine and, and, a, and a doctor delivery um, versus the personality of Snuggle Fabric Softener was don't take your laundry so seriously, just make it something that is comfortable and your family knows you went the extra mile. So that's very important, not only what you're delivering, but the tone. The third section really gets to the hard part of the, of the work, and that's what is the consumer receiving? So you're giving, and you're giving it in this personality, but what are they receiving? What's the emotional value, the highest order value that the consumer receives from you? And this is where... Um, it's really uncomfortable because it does start, your, you know, your BS meter goes up and you're like, really? Do we really deliver that or we just wish that we stood for real beauty? Um, when I was working on Lever 2000 soap and it was an antibacterial soap that was not going to, you know, harm your skin. It was going to clean away the germs. It wasn't going to kill everything. Um, the higher order benefit was mom's saying, go get dirty, I don't care, because I'm confident I can get you clean without you know, scrubbing you in turpentine. So it was, a, it was, a, it was the highest order of functionality was, was confidence to, to let your kids go out and get dirty. Um, and that, that, was, that was very honest and true because the consumers kept um, saying that in the, in the you know, numerous events and activities that we did with them on a very personal level. So take all those three elements and you come to, so then what's your, um, we used to use the word discriminator at, at Unilever. So everything you've done so far could technically be done by anybody until you get to what is the discriminator. What is What gives you credibility to be the one and only that can deliver this in this unique manner so that how many fabric softeners are there out there? There's Downy, there's Snuggle, there's Suavitel. What was truly unique about Snuggle that Downy couldn't own and and Suavitel couldn't own? And you know, we we were spending a lot of time around the fact that we were um, that little extra secret helper that, that that the Snuggle Bear was a helper. It wasn't usurping mom, but it was a helper to deliver the little things that really mattered and that we were really going to focus on the little things that mattered. And so then one of the examples of how we act in that was snuggle up and read. Reading at bedtime with your kids is one of the most important things, you know, any parent can do with their child, and so we wanted to stand for that. So as you go around this circle of the 
function, how I'm going to deliver it, what's the highest order emotional reason that I want to stand for you using this, and then what's my unique way of delivering that nobody else can take. I can own that. All of these things can be genericized and commoditized, but if you really believe it and you own it, then no one can take that away from you. And that's the process that all sounds pretty simple. It, it can get really hard when you start to be brutally honest with yourself as you're going around and you're putting this down on paper. But if you'll discipline yourself to get all the way around that circle and you really commit to it, you own something out there and then you start to own the, a relationship that no one else can take away. Okay. I'm starting to get a sense of how this becomes um, bigger than just the words. So just to repeat the four so everybody can follow along, the first thing is what's my functional real delivery? And you use the phrase brag board. What is it that I put in this product or service from an ingredient point of view to a time to an investment to a research and what among all of that stuff is most valuable? So functionally, what is it we're really giving? giving? Mm-hmm. And then second is the personality. What's the tone, the manner, the style that we want to communicate this, presumably functionality? Mm -hmm. Do we we want to communicate it from an expertise point of view or something else? Mm -hmm. And then the third, what's the emotional value that our consumers are receiving? Not what I want to tell them they should feel, but what is it our consumers are telling us they actually are feeling, what they gain from an emotional point of view. And then the fourth is what connects all of those that gives us a discriminator that allows us to own that and to be credible and being the only one who can do it. Is that a reasonable summary? Yes, totally. Okay. So, and I can imagine if you do this work that, A, it takes a bit of time and a bit of concentration and a bit of stick with it, but that once you get a team all the way through one, two, three, four points, they're pretty committed to the brand as you've articulated it. Yes. And I find that through the years, when you do this work with the the cross-functional team, you really have a rock-solid group rowing in the same direction. You really don't have, you know, the brand people are rowing in one direction and the sales guys are going in a different direction and operations is like, what? That ingredient was important to you? I just saved money. I got rid of it. (laughs) What? And so all of a sudden, everybody's going in the same direction and they, there's, there's guardrails that are um, bought in by the entire organization. Okay. All right, so how long does a process like this take to do? It can be something that your your organization soup to nuts can execute in a couple of weeks if you really want to be aggressive and go for it. I mean, um, I have spent time in startups and small corporations, and, and you'd be amazed at how fast you can get things done. <laughs> <laughs> I understand um, that. And then I've also been with organizations where, you know, it, Life, you know, the business had to run at the same time that you got all this work done, and, and so, you know, it could take you a couple of months. I mean, the, the best work is done when you, you have a, a work session. You um, make sure you've got a lot of consumer immersion work in there so that the, the consumer's voice is the, the lead voice in the room, not the internal organization, because it's, it's your relationship with the consumer. It's not you pushing something on the consumer. Okay. And then right. 
coming back together as a group and saying, okay, if we, we felt great about this a week ago, do we still feel great about it? Because if we still feel great about it a week later, we got something. Okay. So there is that BS test, if you will, that we sounded good when we were all in the kumbaya moment, moment but, you know, a week or two later, ooh, I'm not so sure about it. Exactly. And okay. what's also nice is you'll know you've hit the sweet spot when there starts to be a debate in the room and someone is standing up for something and everyone's like, you're right, we can't let that go. It's when you start to see the team really debating for what they believe, you've hit, you've hit nirvana. Because okay. they're going to walk out of that room and they are going to now defend that and make that a reality. Okay. Actioning it will not be an issue. <laughs> All right, right, because we've got the ultimate buy-in. we got commitment now. Right. Okay, I can see now why you say this drives growth. I get it. Um, I can also imagine that it can be a hard process to take people through and to keep them focused on it and staying with it until you come to something that there's kind of some consensus around or some agreement around. Yeah. Now, I want to turn to this notion about consumer immersion work because what strikes me about this all the way through is that it can't, the old days of marketing or branding would be, I tell you, the consumer, what it is I want you to feel when you interact with my product. Mm-hmm. And that's the notion of the promise. Mm-hmm. And you've reframed that to say, instead, the consumers are telling us what they feel, and we're going to decide what among that we pick up and amplify and so on. So that's the consumer immersion work. But how do you do that work? Do you have a favorite technique? So there, there are a bunch of different things. I think part of um, what's fun about consumer immersions is you, um, understanding your communities that you're supporting. Maybe one community and you're supporting a whole variety of things within that one community, or it could be a lot of sub-segments. And um, most recently when I was with the tech startup and we were in 3D printing, there were several different sub-communities that were leveraging 3D printing to augment their passions, whether that was wargaming or budding jewelry entrepreneurs or miniature scale train collectors. They all were absolutely enthralled with their passion being elevated to the next level because 3D printing gave them something, an ability to do something they'd never been able to do before. But what we had to do was to understand the highest order value that we were providing so that we could have a common brand promise and then be able to activate it authentically with each of those different communities. And so making sure that we had, you know, you had, you had different types of immersions with different groups. So with the jewelry entrepreneurs, we were spending time with them understanding how they wanted to to go to market. What were their e-commerce needs versus my miniature scale train makers were looking for how to design. They needed design support because they weren't necessarily engineers, but they were historians and they wanted authenticity. So then getting into those, those immersions and understanding the individual needs and then ratcheting that up to a higher order need. So there is not one particular immersion technique. It's more a commitment to getting into their ecosystem and then becoming a part of that tribe and then letting them teach you. When I was 
when I started the Ritz Studio, I had three amazing makers that I had met at a craft fair. And I invited them to have a sleepover with my creative team and myself. And we dyed projects. And then we dissected all the different ways they dyed projects and all the ways, all the ways Rit Dye failed them so that we could fix it. And we needed to spend 24 hours together to really exhaust all the information I could, I could glean from them. So I think part of it is thinking of all the different ways you have relationships in your personal life. How do you bring that to life in your work life so that you can have a more intimate understanding of what your community needs and how you best can deliver that? All right. I can imagine this gets quite intense. Um, I can't imagine a whole lot of executives saying, fine, I'll have a sleepover with some of my consumers so they can tell me how (laughs) the product works or doesn't work. But I can also see why that's really important. It reminds me of a very old story of Intuit in the software days uh, where they would send their engineers, their computer programmers, out to people's houses Mm -hmm. with a box that was a Mm -hmm. brand new box and Mm -hmm. hand them the box and watch what they did with it from the moment of opening the box to everything that went thereafter for the purposes of understanding how do you relate to this, what's working, what's not working, and how do we make it better at the Mm -hmm. end of the day. Mm -hmm. Okay. All right. I also, I think, yeah, I I showed some pretty extreme examples. You know, my my favorite and where I learned a lot of this was um, I had met um, the CEO of Waffle House. And every Mm -hmm. single person in that organization, from the CEO and his assistant down to people who help clean the office, have to work at a Waffle House one day a month to stay connected to what they do. So I think part of it is a, a, a commitment at the executive level all the way down to you know, the assistant brand manager saying, every month we are going to get out of this office and we're going to spend some time with real people. Yeah. And some days it will be a big deal and some days it's just going to be, I'm going to help shelve at Walmart and just see where people get lost and can't find stuff. So I think more of it is just a commitment and then putting a plan in place that you know, once a month, you are going to make sure you've connected with who you're actually serving because we start to think we're serving just our team. I'm serving my salesperson. I'm serving R&D. Now, we are serving the consumer. I know a number of consumer-oriented consumer goods who insist that people spend time with the customer. So in the store, at the cash register, in the stocking room, wherever regularly so that you stay connected with the core part of what the business is. All right, so several of them are very famous for that one. I love that Waffle House. That's Mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. Now, we've been doing this in terms of consumer packaged goods, the classic product that people buy. Does it all apply equally well to a service? Yes, absolutely. It makes no difference whatsoever. At the end of the day, you you are giving them something, and how do they receive it? How do they feel about it? I mean, you can take a generator service where the service provider is just making sure that generator is, is functioning, and how do they give you confidence, and how do you choose which one to, to, to build a relationship with so that day in and day out, you know your home is protected from any you know, natural disaster. Okay. 
Um, I, there's been a lot of, and we've done some on the show as well with Charlie Green in particular, but a lot of companies who are in the service providing business like right. law firms or accountants or financial services for that matter, talk about being a trusted advisor mm-hmm. where what do the consumer client ultimately is getting from you is that feeling of trust that I can call you on anything and I trust you to tell me the truth about it I can see that that would apply it's a little harder for me though to understand what consumer immersion might look like in a services oriented business can you give me an example Um, I mean when I was working in real estate and helping them it was understanding two, three, four years out before you sell your house, six months, 12 months after you bought the house. So how's it going? What would you have liked to have known now that you didn't know then? So, you know, understanding the journey, especially if it's a a service that you don't use day in and day out and it has a long cycle between uses, you know, again, look looking to connect with people significantly before to start mm-hmm. to understand when the journey starts and then um, having an ongoing relationship with them with content marketing at this point it's just you know awesome because you'll get feedback that was a good article that article didn't get anything so nobody cares okay. uh-huh. right okay all right so fair enough so so thinking for each case with your consumers, you start to think about what, it, how are they engaging with us, when, and so forth. You used the word earlier, tribes. Is this what you mean, these communities of people who share some common value? Yes. And I like the word tribe because it feels more important to belong versus community could mean something that you do or don't care about. But when you're a part of a tribe, you really, you, you have a sense of, of responsibility and you don't want to let them down. Okay. So having a group of consumers who feel that they're a part of my tribe could be a pretty powerful component. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Okay. I get it. I like it a lot. All right. Just a couple minutes before we take a break. We've talked about all of this, but we haven't touched the idea of social media. Do you have any thoughts on social media? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that social media is one of the best liberators that we've had. And I think it's not just social media, but it's, it's digital connections because you now can be global uh, instantaneously. You can get global feedback instantaneously. And you also can see a more authentic world um, because people are sharing on their own, you, you know, you go into a consumer focus group and you're just, you are, you know, pestering people to answer a question versus if you are, you know, listening constantly on social media, you're seeing authentically what people care about and what they don't care about. Okay. Um, you also have a way to build a tribe and have a relationship directly where and when they want to have it versus just, you know, buckshotting out there and hoping somebody cares. So I think that um, social and digital have really liberated a way for you to have a one-to-one relationship in mass. And 
it also comes with huge responsibility that you now have to listen day in and day out, and you can't pretend you didn't hear. <laughs> because you will get, you know, immediately called out on it. So authenticity we, is way overused, but it's because you can't get away with not being authentic anymore. Okay, I love it. So I love it. I think it's great. All right. Okay, Rebecca, fabulous. Let me see if I can take a summary for this one. So the the whole notion about the social media is it's a more authentic way to see what your consumers genuinely care about because they are voluntarily engaging with this in their world, not necessarily in your artificial world as in a focus group. So it allows you to have a one-to-one relationship in mass. You're going to make me go back and rethink my branding strategy for our business and for the radio show, as a matter of fact. So let me see if I can summarize. For what makes for a great brand, there's a four-part process. So a great brand is something that gives a credible function that, of course, we care about, plus it makes an authentic emotional connection relationship with the consumer. Four parts. Number one, there's a functional delivery. What is it that we are delivering, product, time, service, ingredient, that, and what's the value among that? The second thing, what's our personality? What's the tone and manner with which we want to portray ourselves as a brand? Number three, What is it that the consumer says they are receiving? So what's the highest order emotional value that the consumers say they receive? Not what I tell them, but what they feel. And then number four is what's the discriminator? What is it that gives us credibility to be the one and only who can deliver this? I can well imagine you go through that process either in some form of two weeks to two months or maybe a little longer You get the team, a cross-functional team, really participating in the discovery of this and owning this and believing in it and buying into it in the ultimate sense. And that could be a pretty powerful growth engine. I get it. Makes sense. Okay. I would also just go back to social media for a second. And if you're listening, really listening, you will also find so many growth opportunities. When we were working on the RIT Studio launching... We kept finding posts with lacrosse heads and these plastic objects. And we're like, what the heck? We thought this was women dyeing, you know, shower curtains and dresses. And we found two huge segments that we were not supporting, the lacrosse industry and the 3D printing industry. And it also, not only did it open up our communication strategy to support those, and to help them die better and get better results. But it also led to an entire new product line that almost doubled the business. So, again, digital liberation, technology liberation is huge for igniting growth, if we listen. Okay. All right. Again, it's not just about out there. It's about listening. And then we're back to relationship again. Love it. it. All right. We're going to take a break. With me today is Rebecca Freddy. Rebecca is now um, the with a comp- her own company called Pink Imperfection. You can reach her at rbfreddy at pinkimperfection.com or on Twitter at rb as in Rebecca Freddy, F-R-E-T-T-Y. Rebecca spent the last 25 years helping a variety of companies from Fortune 50 companies to tech startups build, amplify, revitalize their brands to drive organic growth. And as you can tell, she's got a fairly straightforward model on what it takes to create or revitalize a phenomenal brand. 
And we're going to take a break. When we come back from the break, I'm going to take this knowledge about great product and service brands, and we're going to turn it into personal brand. So if that's what branding is really about, how do you begin to think about my brand of me and how do I market me inside the company? We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. If you want more information on the articles, books, coaching, and seminars we offer, go to our website at www.leadershipforuminc.com. You're sure to find some helpful links, videos, and more to help you create a winning strategy for your organization. Leadership Forum, Inc., helping organizations get it and keep it. Tune in to the soul of enterprise, business in the knowledge economy with co-hosts Ron Baker and Ed Kless. Ron and Ed will show you how to recognize that wealth is created by intellectual capital. It's all in the possibilities that we can create and that are created for us. These possibilities are destined to be discovered by human imagination and through the service of others, creating a brighter future for all of us. The Soul of Enterprise is heard live every Friday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel and simulcast at the same time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The business community's first choice in Internet talk radio, Voice America Business Network. You are listening to Out of the Comfort Zone. To reach Dr. Wanda Wallace or her guest, call into the program at 1-866-472-5790. Again, that's 1-866-472-5790. You may also send an email to wanda.wallace at leadershipforuminc.com. Now, back to Out of the Comfort Zone. Welcome back. With me today is Rebecca Freddy. Rebecca is with PinkImperfection.com. Her email is Rebecca at PinkImperfection.com or Twitter is RBFreddy at RBFreddy. And Freddy is spelled F-R-E-T-T-Y in case you're interested. Rebecca is a brand expert, having spent the last 25 years helping Fortune 50 companies as well as tech startups and some service industries build and revitalize their brand stories, but for the purposes of driving growth. And she has a lovely little model that has four points, a four-point process that helps you get to where, where are the opportunities, what's the connection, what's the brand, and how do we as a team get some commitment and focus on that one. Now, I've long believed that we needed to take this concept of brand from the typical brand marketing and turn it to a personal side. So this is my passion, and Rebecca's been kind enough to go along with me on that one and to take this knowledge about brands and great brands and translate it into what does it mean when it's me that I'm trying to market or brand. And I'm going to pick up, Rebecca, with um, two different things that you said. The first thing you said is great brands decommoditize. And I actually think that's what the personal branding space is really about. It's a way of decommoditizing me or distinguishing me from the crowd. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that would be the lovely story. That would be the nice goal, the aspiration, I guess we should say. And then the second thing that strikes me and what I want to explore is in your, go back to your four-point model of what makes, how do you develop what the brand is? You said Mm -hmm. that what's the functional, the function that we're delivering, and in the 
personal branding side, that's likely to be the expertise, uh-huh. the thing that you're known to be able to do and deliver. Then two, what's the personality? And if we translate that, what's the tone and the manner with which you do things? Three, what's the highest order emotional value you deliver to your consumer? We need some help on that one. And then four, what's the discriminator? So let's take each of those four and apply them to a personal brand. So number one, this functional delivery, the brag board, what do you think that would look like in terms of a personal brand? So I think, and I'll just stick to the, the typical marketing person, but I think you can do this in any function. This is your job description. I do briefs for the agency. I come up with, you know, promotion plans. This, these are all the functional things. I organize the consumer immersions. I write reports. I do brand architecture. I, you know, what are all of the basic functions that you are required to do and to deliver on an annual basis. And part of that can be the things that you're asked to do and then the things that you you volunteer to do or things that you, you know, take to the next level so that you put down all the stuff you do because so often I think we get these job descriptions or we get a project put in front of us and it's, big fat words, and then does anybody really know all the things that you had to do to actually make that happen? So I think that's where you get the the fun part, and that's why I love calling it the brag board, of really put down everything it took to manage the sales meeting. Does anybody really understand all that stuff so that you can really understand yourself what you're doing? And then you can also start to see, hmm, these are the things that I think actually delivered the most value back to the company. These are the things where I felt most valued. These are the things where I feel like I could really make a difference. So you're starting already at the very beginning to start to see what's uniquely you, whether it's what you're good at, what you like doing, or where you think you're adding most value. So really spend some time putting it all down. Okay. Now, it strikes me that most people, when they get ready to do self-promotion or self-marketing or you know, raising their profile or increasing their brand, pick any one of those words, that what they do is they go back to what have I delivered. And I like what you said is it's not just what I delivered. Yes, that's important, but it's all the things I had to do in order to deliver that. Mm-hmm. And it reminds me of one person that I was coaching around a particular promotion. She was in the service industry, a woman in this particular case, and it was hard to quantify her value. And part of what we had to do was to get her to articulate all the things that she did that enabled someone else to generate revenue. Mm-hmm. And once she could articulate that, once she can identify it, then she could put some metrics behind it and on the back of that actually got a promotion. So... It strikes me we get the surface of this, but we don't get enough depth on it to really understand where it is. As you said, we're adding value to the company, where you uniquely make a difference. Completely agree. You you launch a new product. You're the product manager on a new product launch. What were the steps that you, where, where did you block and tackle? Where did you unleash an insight? How did you solve the problem? Did you, was the product launch just one heck of a fire drill and so you are the world's greatest fire person like you can put out fires better than anybody else 
these are the kind of details, and that's the, why you want to go into so much, you know, detail, and not just I launched, you know, the next flavor of Suave Shampoo. What what specifically was happening in all of these innovation launches that you really? It's this is your specialty. This is where mm-hmm. you're really um, uniquely delivering in a way that the company should step up and notice or they have noticed and that's what's driving your career. Okay. All right. So in my words, that would be your expertise. But Correct. it's beyond I'm an expert in finance. It's down to a much, much more specific. I'm an expert in delivering financial metrics that help drive the business in a way the business can understand in these kind of circumstances. Right. I just I'm made an that one up. I'm an expert at finding gross margin optimization. Okay. I love that. Great. Okay, let's go to the second part, the personality, the tone and the manner. How do you think that translates in the personal brand? <laughs> this, is, this is a real fun one for me because I, I think that I, um, <laughs> I think I have had quite an evolution through the years and I think I still need a lot more <laughs> work in this area. I think this is one where we have to really be honest with ourselves about how we deliver, and is that the way we want to deliver it? And um, this is one where going back and looking at your reviews, and especially 360s and how people talk about you, you know, are you perceived as really direct and just the bare facts? Are you seen as fun and somebody who they want to hang out with and just really debate the business further? Are you, um, you know, always the optimist in the room? Are you the person they can always count on to find the faults so that you don't stumble in public? And there is no right or wrong personality. It's just what is your core personality and how does that play a role in the way you deliver your work and the way your work is received? There were plenty, oh my gosh, there was this one woman I'll never forget she was the um, forecasting taskmaster, and she was her personality was just so intense, and one might say not fun to be around. But you could count on her, and everyone wanted her. And when she kept getting feedback that she was kind of brisk and tough to be around, she started to soften. And people were like, "No, don't soften. They didn't mean it for you to change." We count on that because we know if we get a, a thumbs up from you, we know we're good. <laughs> so I think you, you have to own who you really are, but you want to also make sure that you're not discrediting yourself in the process. So my favorite story to tell myself is I am the eternal optimist, and I loved wearing sweaters for the seasons. And I had a review one year that, your work is superlative, but people really have a hard time taking you serious when you wear a Christmas sweater every day of December. Can you just tone it down? <laughs> so, you know, it's, it's, it sounds silly now, but at the time it was discrediting me at a time when I needed credibility. I was, I was the junior associate brand manager. So, Okay. All right. So this is understanding how people are perceiving you. 
and yeah. being honest with yourself about how you approach things. And we're looking at strengths here, not necessarily all the problems. But you want to be mindful. I loved your question here. How does that way you are perceived play a role in your work and in how your work is received? Correct. So it's not that being brusque or or direct is a problem so long as that isn't affecting the way your work is received or um, how you can do your work. And I would add one to that one. You have to also think about the long-term implications of that. So Correct. your story about the person who is doing the forecasting makes her a great forecaster. It doesn't make her a great much anything else. Correct. Or that's the risk. Correct. Least. Okay. Correct. All right, so the personality, the tone, the manner with which I deliver my brand, the work that I do, the functional stuff that we've just talked about. All right, let's go to the third one, which I think is the hardest one of all. This notion of the emotional value, the higher order, how the receiver of my work, the consumer, feels. Help me here. So here... This is where I think it breaks a little bit from the product brand that and and I and I and I believe this based on team members that I've coached over the last 10 years in particular my most recent two or three teams your the first two inputs are what you're giving and now this mm-hmm. third is what people are receiving. Especially in brand and especially as marketing has evolved, you have two things that people are receiving from you. They're actually receiving a result of your work and then they're also receiving a feeling that you gave them on how you delivered that work. So just to be an extremist here, you can deliver double-digit growth and and a brand share that is just through the roof, but every time you bring one of those projects to bear, and I guess this goes back to your personality a bit, people feel bad because you're just, you know, you know it all and you've told everybody you knew it all and you, you take full credit for it, and so you don't make them feel good. So they don't really want your brand to do well because you don't make them feel good in the process versus a brand doing well because the because the the project that you initiated and you helped the team get across the finish line, the team feels good that they finished it and they're not even sure that you were a part of it because you gave them the credit that they delivered it. So you have to think through what people are receiving on the other side. Not only yes we got brand share, yes, we got better profitability, but how does the team feel and how did you, what role did you play and how the team feels about it? Okay. Were you a support person? Were you a leader that helped them break through barriers? How did, how did you make people feel as you worked through everything that you did during that year? Because work's not fun and work's not easy and there's going to be conflict all over the place. So what role did you play in driving the results and how people felt about those results? Okay. Our results and the way people felt. Um, I was coaching a person uh, who's in professional services 
and he was describing to me, we were spending a lot of time talking about focusing on how people felt about interacting with him. Mm-hmm. And the point really hit home when he happened to be at uh, one of the dolphin shows in Florida. And the trainer for the dolphins said to him, look, my job is to make sure the dolphins have fun in every show. If they have fun, everything will be okay. And it was a bit of a breakthrough moment for him to recognize that the people he were interacting with needed to have fun with him, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. not just deliver the hard facts. Mm-hmm. And it really dramatically changed his leadership style as a result of it. So that's the role you play in how people feel about interacting with you, about delivering the results. Exactly. That can generate it. Do I feel good about it? Do I feel bad about it? Okay? In its simplest way. And presumably, just like we would do a consumer immersion, not that I'm advocating you go home and sleep with your team uh, at their house overnight, (laughs) but rather that you would spend some time getting people to more honestly tell you how they feel. And for this one, you're going to need to use a variety of techniques like some 360 evaluation. But notice now it's really important that the 360 evaluation is not focused just on the functional delivery, but it's focused on how people feel. There's and also tools around emotional intelligence and so on where you get 360 feedback. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other thing is, is if you really value this and you're really serious about it, getting feedback in real time constantly. I think... What always made me nervous is when somebody's like, we're doing a 360, and I'm like, wow, am I that out of touch that I needed a special report written versus, you know, you throw a big meeting, give me feedback, you know, here's a review form, what could I have done better, how, how you know, was this valuable, you know, you're having, you know, weekly statuses with your individual teammates, you know, once a month, I want you to status me. How am I doing? Am, am I helping you? Am I hurting you? How can I get out of your way? So I think part of it is, you know, if you're really committed to this, you need to be constantly looking for that feedback. Somebody's not okay. participating. Somebody's withdrawn all of a sudden. Proactively, what's going on? How can I help? Or how am I hindering? Okay. We talk, I mean, this, I think this is fabulous, um, and you're right, absolutely right that you need to be doing feedback in real time, but it also says you need to be not just asking about how did I do, but how did you feel, mm-hmm. and what can I do that's going to lead to a different feeling that's more constructive. Um, and I lost my train of thought that I wanted to go with that one, so we'll just go on from there. a <laughs> good point, too. Oh, well. Okay. So, and I can understand how hard it is to both get that data in real time or in any format and then how to, to really dig into what does it mean and how is that part of my brand. So, I want to leave you with this notion of understanding how you leave people feeling in the process of delivering the functional delivery that you deliver, the results that you deliver. Mm-hmm. Okay. Now, let's go to the fourth part, the uh, discriminator. How can you think about discriminator? Yeah, when you're thinking about discriminator, I think, again, you go back to, and and this is why you need the full wheel that you've gone through. What do you want to own? What do you want to be the go-to person for? And you don't want to get too niche unless you want to be a forecasting expert for the rest of your life, and that's great. And, And I should preface, 
if you want to be the world's greatest forecaster ever, then make sure it's known. You are going to be, you're going to niche yourself and you're going to own that and you're going to be the forecast trainer for everybody. Or if you're grooming yourself for, for you know, the C-suite, what do you want to own that is really going to be a deliverable for the C-suite? And this is where, again, you know, I'm glad you put me through this discipline of, of translating it into personal because then, you know, we want brand strategy, brand stories for our brand so that we know how to deliver on a vision, a five-year plan for, for delivering growth and profit and money back into the corporation. When you do your personal brand, then it also is making a statement that you actually plan to be here for more than five hours and you want to have a, a long-term plan for yourself and you've given yourself a roadmap because you now have a vision for who you want to be and what kind of manager or leader you want to be within an organization. And then it helps you manage your own career in a much more proactive way versus just, hey, Rebecca, we have a project over here. You want it? Okay, sure. It's a new one. Fresh idea? Perfect. So it really, I think, the discriminator is one where you really have to take a step back and say, where do I want to be tomorrow and where do I want to be five years from now? And that's my discriminator because that's what I want want the sum total to stand for. Right. What I like about this is when I talk to people about where they want to be in five years, they always think about that as a job destination, as opposed to, I want to be known for this, I want to be this kind of a manager, which I think the latter is a far better discriminator than I want to be the head of X, Y, and Z. Right. Very interesting. Okay, Rebecca, we've got about three minutes max any words you want to say about social media on the personal brand side? Oh, this is the hardest one for me because I play with social media. I, I would consider myself, I would type myself as a stove toucher learner. I have to touch stuff. I have to play. I have to do it myself to see what it's all about. So social media for me is just a little laboratory to constantly see what consumers are doing and how it can be of benefit and it's hard for me to personally use it for my own personal branding, and I'm, I'm actually trying to learn that now. So I'm using um, LinkedIn and Twitter as my professional branding persona and really trying to figure that out. Okay. Um, but keeping Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, um, other new mediums, Pinterest, really is laboratories for me to be a consumer myself and play and learn. So it's it's a I think it's a tough I think I think that's the one place where this whole process is challenging um, because I'm not about you know I've been, my whole life has not been about me it's been about Snuggle or it's been about Rit or it's been about Hearts Mountain and so <laughs> it it feels weird to you know to think about you read about well, me. <laughs> Well, you, I mean, at a simple say, you certainly want some consistency in your social media branding. So I think that's one of the important parts to make sure yeah. if I've decided what it is I want to discri- be a discriminator for me, I need to make sure that's showing up in some place. And then, you know, at a simple level also, what's a reaction you get from people on it, which yeah. will give you more feedback to move forward. Okay, let me see if I can do a halfway decent job of wrapping this all up. So, Four critical steps in defining a brand, whether it's a product, a service, or personal brand. 
One, what's the functional delivery? What's the thing you can brag about? And it's not just the results, the numbers that you've delivered. Dig a little bit deeper. What did you have to do in order to deliver that project? And where is it that you are really adding the most unique value as you? That's step number one. Step number two, what's the personality or what's the tone and manner with which you want to deliver the work that you deliver? And how are people reacting to it? Number three, what's the emotional value that people who are receiving your work feel based on that? Many, many ranges, but think again again about the emotional value you give them. Mm-hmm. It could be something like confidence, and it could be something like fun, and it could be something like sparring partner. But what's the emotional value people who receive your work say they receive from you, just to put it in that language? And then the last one is the discriminator. What is it that you want to own to be the go-to person for? Um, what do you want to be known for? What do you want to stand for, both as a leader? With me today is Rebecca Freddy. Rebecca has spent the last 25 years helping companies of all sizes build and revitalize brand stories to drive organic growth. And I think, as you can see, there's as much relevance for corporate brands, product brands, as there is for personal brands. Rebecca, thanks for joining us. Oh, thank you, Wanda. Okay, and join us next week for another episode. Thank you for joining us for Out of the Comfort Zone. Tune in again for another edition with Dr. Wanda Wallace next Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time and 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Reach outside your comfort zone this week.